0: We've been moving through the book of Leviticus and continue this morning by looking at Leviticus chapter 8, verses 22 through 36. Our New Testament complementary passage is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So in honor of God's word, with your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2, please stand. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, hear God's word. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As far as the reading of God's Word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, and continuing in the reading of God's Word. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it, and Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh, and out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the, ha- in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave of offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded, saying Aaron and his son shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days, until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done, to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die. For so I have commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. As far as the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the preaching and to the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes and let us behold our Savior, to be more in love with him and be transformed by your word and spirit into his image. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So the day has finally come. The day that every child has been waiting for. The day. The reason that God called Israel out of the land of Egypt was to go to the mountain to serve Him. They have gone to the mountains. They have met there on the mountain, the story picks up in Exodus chapter 18, and on that mountain God not only gives them his law, but then he also gives them the tabernacle. He gives them the outlines of the tabernacle, they build the tabernacle, that glorious tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus is filled with the glory of God, but Moses is standing outside. And now we've got to ask the question, how do we get back in? How do we get back into this place of peace and union and healing? And that's what the sacrificial system has been all about. But the sacrificial system requires a priest. And so finally with chapter 8, we finally have this beautiful scene. And I want you to picture, because this is very much a visual scene, verse 2 of chapter 8 says, all the people gathered around and witnessed. And so I want you to picture what it was that the people saw that day. Out here in the desert, millions of people gathered around, and these two men in their 80s come walking forward into this strange new tabernacle that's been constructed. And they walk through in order to become the great priests. The ones who are going to heal and bring the way back to God. And so these two 80-year-old men walk across the hot desert sand. And behind one of the men are his four grown sons. Now, we don't know their ages, but I'm guessing if dad is in his 80s, these men ought to be at least in their 60s. 50s or 60s, I would guess. If dad is in his 80s. Four grown men walking behind. Names that you will come across or at least recognize. These four grown sons who are also being made priests. Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu, you might recognize those names because it's not going to end well for them. But let's leave that aside. That's happening another day. Because today is the day. Today is the day that the priesthood is instituted. And we saw last week one part of that scene. This week I want you to look at just a couple of other parts of this scene. This scene that is laid out before us is a scene of consecration and communion. Consecration and communion. We open up with this weird ritual. Moses takes the blood and puts it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And then he does the same thing to Aaron's sons. Now, visually, that was a striking thing. Here are these grown men, Aaron and his sons, clothed in spotless white linen. The sacrifice has been made, and now here comes Moses and puts blood On the ear, on the thumb, and on the toe. Now we know that blood is significant. It's it's really the core verse of the entire book of Leviticus, isn't it? The life is in the blood. It's at the heart of what the sacrificial system is, isn't it? The sacrificial system is about spilling the blood. It's at the heart of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. His blood shed. So we know that this blood is in some way marking Aaron, marking the priests out. But we've already seen blood used as a marker in the story Thus far? What did the children of Israel put on the lintels and doorposts of their houses so that the angel of death would pass over? They marked themselves by the blood. Andrew Bonar was a Scottish pastor, and, and his commentary on Leviticus is, is, is rich. Bonar says the marking of the priest with the blood sets him apart as God's man. And specifically, that the priest is to hear for God. And at the slightest whisper of that divine voice, he is to stretch out that right hand. And to move in the ways that God has called him to move. Walk in the way that God has set before him. And that entire consecration, Aaron is consecrated from, literally, from his head to his feet. Aaron is marked, and Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, all are marked in this very public way, from head to feet, as belonging to God. God's servant. So that whatever it is that they hear from God, they do. Whatever it is, wherever they walk, their feet walk in paths of righteousness. This consecration, this perfect consecration, now we know, being men, they don't do it perfectly, do they? I mean, it's not going to be many chapters later before this gorgeous group of six people is whittled down by two. Only six people standing here in this holy place, and two of them are about to be struck dead by God for offering strange fire on His altar. They didn't do it perfectly. It points us to the one. It points us to the one who truly does. Listen to His Father, do His Father's will, and minister His Father's care. But then you notice also in verses 25 through 27, an interesting second aspect of this consecration. In verses 25 to 27, he took the fat, the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the long lobe of the liver... And and then down in verse 20, uh, 26, out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf, one loaf of bread with oil, one wafer, placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. Now, because everybody has been here through the whole series on Leviticus and remembers word for word every passage that we've been looking at, you don't need any reminders. But for anybody who may not remember word for word, a reminder... If you turn over your page of your Bible, just one page, to chapter 7, and beginning in verse 11, we read, this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. Here's the point. Moses takes the peace offering and he takes from the basket one loaf of unleavened bread, one loaf of leavened bread, the oil, everything we saw in the peace offering in chapter 7. He takes it and he walks over to Aaron and with all of of the accoutrements of the peace offering, he also adds another element from the burnt offering. Do you remember from the burnt offering what it is that belongs to God? The long lobe of the liver, the fat that is around the kidneys. Those are the things that belong to God in his offering. And Moses takes those things and gives them to Aaron. And then he takes them out of Aaron's hands and gives them back to God. But the first thing he does, he takes these things from God's hand and he places them in the hands of Aaron and his sons. And then, if you remember from the reading, he does a wave offering. He waves to the four corners of heaven and earth to witness, to behold this union. This union between God and Aaron. Between the sacrifice that belongs to God and now the sacrifice that is Aaron's. And now the Aaron's sacrifice given back to God. This glorious union. You see, that's why our passage closes with these words, Moses and Aaron did exactly what God commanded because this has nothing to do with Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are the random players that God has brought forth. They are not the inventors of this. Moses and Aaron are God's men in God's time at God's place. It was utterly irrelevant who the people were because this was always God saying, I want you to enact this drama. I want the people to know that their priest, the one who stands between them and God, is in fact at peace. That he is in fact completely given to me. I want you to know that your priest is as given to God as it is possible for one human being to be. And in turn, that God is in fellowship with him. And beloved, then later when Paul, or when, when the writers of the New Testament, Peter, take this up and refer to you as a priest, when, when Paul in Ephesians says that you are a household, when he says that you and I are called to live in this light, one of the essential things is a person, a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl who says, I am given completely to God. There's not one square inch that I hold back. My ear, my hand, my toe. Head to toe. I'm God's man. I am God's woman. Now, This obviously is pointing us to the perfect priest who is Jesus Christ. But the New Testament writers make very clear application to the believer when the believer is referred to as a royal household, a priest. I think here here is where it falls apart in real life. Okay? You want to know how we blow it? You want to know how you blow it? You want to know how I blow it? We pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I am all about the kingdom coming. And God's will being done in my wife. I am all about the kingdom coming and God's will being done in my children. I am all about God's kingdom coming and His will being done in my community. But I just poisoned it all, didn't I? Because, beloved, you don't give two figs about God's kingdom until you first desire it to come in your own heart. Until the kingdom of God is your heart's desire, don't yap at me about your love for the kingdom of God. Until your heart, until you say, Lord, let me mirror you. Let me be Christ's hands. Let me hear your voice. Let me walk in your paths. Until you are focused on the kingdom of God here. Right here in your heart. Right here in your core. Right here in the very center of who you are. Then the kingdom of God will begin like a mustard seed to have influence. It grows into a tree and the birds of the air come and rest in its branches. But the reason that the mustard seed grows and the birds rest in its branches is not because the mustard seed is designed for birds to rest in, is it? The mustard seed and the mustard tree are designed to produce mustard. And, beloved, if you get that, you will have gotten the core of it. Your walk with Jesus Christ. The purpose of your walk with Jesus Christ is not to make you wealthy, not to make you happy, not to fix your spouse, not to fix your kids, not to fix your own disappointments, not to fix your job, certainly not to fix politics. The kingdom of God breaks in here. and So you and I are called to be consecrated to God. But secondly, quickly, we see this other vision. This other vision of communion with God, because after Aaron and his sons are marked, after they give the fat portions, after these things are waved before the four corners of the earth, and God has declared himself to be at peace, he then tells Aaron and his sons to go and sit in the door of the tent of meeting, For seven days. Did you see that? Seven days. Day and night. Now, in the same way that blood is a significant thing, seven is as well. We've already seen it here at this own mountain. Remember, it was in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, spoken from this very mountain that we're standing in front of right now as we're watching this display... It was on that mountain that God said six days you shall labor and you shall do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath. It is a holy day unto the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, neither your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your cattle, nor the strangers within your gate. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh he rested. He rested. So do you see what Aaron and the priests are doing? For seven days, they're recreating the drama. But it closes with rest. It's not six days at the tent of meeting, brothers and sisters. It's seven. It's rest. Aaron and his sons are displaying for the whole congregation this cycle of rest, of being at peace. And so the Israelite who's camped around the wilderness there during this seven-day period, you know what Israelite moms were doing? Getting up and fetching Israelite water and scrubbing Israelite dishes and cooking some Israelite meatloaf. Manna loaf, maybe. My point is, they were living life. They were disciplining their kids. The kids were getting in trouble. The other kids are running out, heading the goats and, and, and taking them off to pasture. They're living their life just like you and I are. Here's where it circles back to my point at the very beginning. I don't think that we are called... To set aside all of our frustrations, all of our cares, all of our fears. I don't think that worship is necessarily coming away from that. As much as it is, worship is bringing all that. Here. Here to a place of peace. Here to a place where God says again, I'm at peace. Peace the communion that we see in Aaron and his sons, the week-long daily eating of the flesh and sitting in the tent and, and all of the things that are just showing the people visually all around how God is at peace still takes place with a lot of Ammonites, Hittites, Jebusites, Perizzites, all the people that are in the wilderness, all of the dangers that are in the wilderness, all of the sun and the heat and the thorns and the rocks and the serpents and the wild animals and the marauding neighbors and all of that, all takes place simultaneously to just enough manna for today. And a priest who says, we're at peace. Oh, beloved, beloved, if you see that vision, if you see that reality, the New Testament opens this glorious picture. It flowers, it flowers, not only to show us that it is Jesus Christ who is perfectly consecrated, and it is Jesus Christ who is in perfect communion, but, beloved, that you and I united to Christ, risen with Him, seated with Him in heavenly places, united to Him are also consecrated and at peace. It doesn't feel that way a lot of times. Our lives, our day-to-day does not feel peaceful. Our day-to-day does not feel like we don't have Ammonites and Hittites and Perizzites and Jebusites and all that. Rocks and thorns and heat stroke and and, and thirst for water and, and all of those things. Our day to day feels a lot like the wilderness. But it's in the middle of that wilderness. It's in the middle of that wilderness that you have this scene. And beloved, I promise you. Because God says it. If you and I will live from here, consecrated and at peace with God, if you and I will live from here, then this same beautiful picture of the tabernacle, these ancient men gathered in the hot desert, displaying this glorious, grand gesture and and, and story of God's redeeming work. People are going to look at you with the same wonder. They're going to look at you with the same awe. So, beloved, if we'll start here, it ends well there. But it does start here. It must start here and nowhere else, or else it turns ugly and dark. Is that not the problem of legalism? Is that not the problem that, frankly, the church is often accused of? Hypocrisy, a bunch of rules, you can tell me, or you you tell me what to do, but you don't do it yourself, and all those things. If that is fundamentally what Christianity is to you, if you truly at the core say Christianity is doing the right things, being the right person, and saying I'm sorry when I'm not, then beloved, please, please come and talk to me, talk to your parents, talk to an elder, because Christianity, the gospel, is that I deserve death. I deserve to die. But Jesus Christ is my sacrifice. And if you are there, if you understand personally your judgment and your righteousness, both in God's hands. Both transformed into God's mercy and love and grace. Here at the tent of the meeting, justice and mercy kissed. The wrath of God was satisfied. And He declared Himself to be at peace. And it was always just a picture. A picture of that perfect priest. A picture of the one to come. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for redemption, for peace, for healing, that even in the midst of the wilderness there is a place of rest. And from that place we can live lives that reflect joy, joy that can come only from a heart that knows what it is to be lost and found. Tune our lives to sing your praise this week. In Christ's name, amen.